You're listening to Now Playing Podcast, the Children of the Corn series, guest starring Isaac, John Franklin. Let us give thanks to he who walks behind the rose, who protects our crops. The God of sacrifice. The God who walked on the face of the earth. He who walks behind the rose. He who walks behind the rose. He who walks behind the rose. God does speak to me in my dreams. And God has told me that it is now our time. Time to make sacrifice. Time to kill. Welcome to Now Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series. It is written, a leader will come from the corn. Part of the now playing Stephen King movie review series. I offer this to he who walks behind the rose. Hosted by Stuart. This is my game. I've played it before and on better courts than yours. Jacob. He thought he had great spirit. And Arnie. Question me not, Malachi. I act according to his will. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review based on the works of Stephen King. I've read the book, and for the first time in my life, I know my purpose. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Did your mother teach you how to talk like that? Only when your name came up. Listener discretion is advised. The time of judgment is now at hand. Let the harvest begin. We have your podcast! Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering, starring Naomi Watts, Karen Black, this can't be right, I know these people, Jamie Renee Smith, Mark Salling, Brett Jennings, directed by Greg Spence. This is Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing, and I bring him my flesh. Shadrach in LA. I thought I'd change my name like everyone else to something old and biblical and strange. Shadrach? That sounds like an 80s pop star. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. I thought we could all do this. You know? <laughs> Jump into a furnace? You don't know that one? We know who the Outlander is not reading his Bible. Yeah, we do. Someone skipped Sunday school. And this is he who podcasts behind the rose, Jacob. Yeah, Naomi Watts. Karen Black. I was freaking out with the cast list. I thought I put in the wrong disc. Two people. Two people <laughs> known in this cast. I thought we were done shaming Naomi Watts with Tank Girl. You know, who knew that we'd get another round in? You know, one day we'll get to Mulholland Drive, maybe, and cover the David Lynch world. But, yeah, at this point, she's still a couple years away from that and only a few years away from Lori Petty. But, yeah, as far as Scream Queens go, this is not a bad one to get. I think that they're lucky to have someone like this. It's kind of the, like the coup of getting Hillary Swank, for sometimes they come back, too. I'm looking forward to seeing her doing something here. It's, it's something to inspire when I can't say that I'm expecting much from this series. Also, Mark Salling, I don't know if you guys ever watched Glee, but he was the one with the mohawk that was kind of too cool for school, but then would join in to sing the Journey song every now and then. 
I was most excited in this cast for Karen Black. I mean, you talked about Scream Queens. Karen Black is one of the original Scream Queens. And we discussed her in House of a Thousand Corpses, but she has so many credits to her name. Very sad when she passed away last year. But I haven't seen this movie. I didn't know she was going to be in it when we started this. And I was interested in seeing what she can do. Turns out, I'll preview, she doesn't do much, but she's here. Yeah, she's being a weird shut-in, which is probably maybe close to real life at this point for Karen. She wasn't doing too much work. I forget about the uh, Rob Zombie movies, but I guess it was that period that she made this movie. Eh, we're a few years away still. I mean, Naomi would go on to get Oscar nominations. Karen would get to work with Sherry Moon. Okay, they they all have something to live for. <laughs> this one never went to theaters, right? That was what we said. It stopped last week. It may have even stopped before then. But uh, this is direct made for the home video market, VHS, 1996. Yes, this is the first one where they're realizing what they're doing and... You now have the company that is bringing us the Leprechaun sequels and such, taking care of our corn. Just pumping them out to video. I mean, 96, it's worth saying, that is the year we talked about this last time where Scream would revive horror, but nobody knew that when this movie was being made, so... Maybe the next one, but yeah, this one has no affiliation with any kind of renaissance in horror. This is just another drop in the blood bucket. So let's get into it. Let's get through the plot. Let's see what's here. June Rhodes, played by Karen Black, is agoraphobic. She refuses to take even a step past her sidewalk. But lately, she's been having recurring nightmares of being killed by mute, wounded, feverish children. Things start to get so bad that June's daughter, Grace, played by Nomi Watts, a medical student, comes home to Grand Island, Nebraska to take care of her mother. But soon, all the children in town start to become ill with high fevers. More, they start to pull out any of their own teeth that have fillings and act strangely, answering to names that are not their own. Even Grace's sister Margaret begins to have the fever, as well as a strange rash. The children then become murderous and start to kill the adults around them. Grace tries to treat the children medically, but when that fails, she's taken to the home of old-timers Jane and Rosa Knock who tell of a boy preacher named Josiah. Decades earlier, when Rosa was a young girl, she had a fling and bore a bastard son. She left the child and traveling preachers took him in, and he became the most rapturous speaker in the group. But as years passed, the townsfolk realized the boy preacher never aged. The preachers tried to poison the boy with mercury to stunt his growth, and when nothing worked, the townspeople gathered and burned the boy alive and sealed his remains in a local well. A well that a drunk disturbed at the beginning of this film. Oh, these drunks. They're always ruining it, aren't they? This released the spirit of Josiah, and he found a match. An equally disavowed child who shall become his embodiment. That child is Margaret, who is, in fact, not Grace's sister, but her daughter. Grace heads to a gathering of the children where Margaret's body is to be taken by Josiah. And in the ceremony, Josiah takes corporeal form, but even shotgun shells laced with mercury don't stop the boy. But Grace also poured mercury into the sprinkler system, which covers the boy in toxic liquid, weakening him so Grace can cut him down with a scythe. Then Grace is able to perform CPR on her daughter, reviving her, seemingly healthy, and Grace tells her daughter the truth about her parentage as credits roll. 
You know, I started to have an impression here. Maybe all these children of the corns, it's like a game, like a party game. Like you show up and they give you a list and it says scythe, children that never grows old, uh, dream. And each person, they make their own script out of it. It becomes their own movie. <laughs> Sometimes you end up with the movie last week where it's a fish out of water urban comedy. This week we get a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. This is got many of the same elements that we've seen in other Children of the Corn, yet it has nothing to do with the other Children of the Corn. There's not even a Hubie in this movie. You know what? I said last week I have never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I did think of Nightmare on Elm Street. There's so many damn dreams in this film. (laughs) Yes, Nightmare on Elm Street came to mind. A lot of dreams and a lot more than that. I'm sure we're going to get into it, Arnie, when we get there. But the backstory of Josiah is sheer plagiarism. I was thinking more about, again, the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Because why would you want to think about that? Yeah, no. It's not that I want to, but it's the last series that we've covered of more than three installments that really feels this scattered and this low budget, where it's killers at Christmas, go. Here, it's killer (laughs) kids in a cornfield, go. And I'm starting to think that what I needed to do for this one is sing our plot summaries. I don't know any corn songs other than Jimmy Crack Corn, but <laughs> and we don't care. Yeah, no, let's we don't care for that, Arnie. Let's not do that. But it's the dreams. I think that's what really sets the tone. It's what got me first thinking about Nightmare on Elm Street is that we begin in a dream with with this woman, June. You know, it's actually kind of creepy in a way that. We don't know any of the characters. We don't know what the setup is. We know that she shouldn't be doing it. We know that there's a boy holding up a bloody palm. And I remember from part two, that's the way the kids indoctrinated you. I know she shouldn't be lifting that latch. I know that she shouldn't be trying to help him. I am the Nightmare on Elm Street fan here, and I barely thought of that movie. But I think that's because I've been doing the deep dive into Stephen King and reviewing all these stories over at Books and Nachos, and there's so many psychics in his stories. I mean, you look at The Shining, you look at The Stand, you look at even Salem's Lot to a degree. Carrie was psychic. And a lot of times the psychics in King's stories manifest themselves in dreams. So even though we start in a dream, I don't feel like June here is being haunted by her dreams. I think she's having a vision of the future and a very King-type apparition. Now, why she's able to see the future? movie's never going to tell us, but that's how I kind of took this opening scare. I thought it was because there is a evil spirit in their land, that there is a burned creature that they buried. They got his glove and they put it down a well and he's trying to get out. He's trying to get anyone who will listen to come free him. It ends up being a bum and not Karen Allen, but I thought that might be what the source of these dreams was. So you're saying Josiah was trying to will her to come to the will? He he just didn't do his research and he picked an agoraphobic woman that wouldn't go there. I I (laughs) totally missed. Good point. Good point. Do not get the agoraphobic. Yeah, don't bother calling them. They're not going to make it there. When we see this drunk go to the will, I was just confused. I'm like, is it a thirsty farmer? He's getting a drink. I didn't even realize that was freeing Josiah. Was that his plan all along to draw someone there 
to draw yes. someone to the well to free him? Yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, <laughs> okay, as long as we're all clear as mud on this, it's clear as mud. But the, you know, I can put disconnected scene next to disconnected scene and draw a conclusion. I don't know if it's the right one, but that's the way that I take it. Is that there's an evil spirit? It was wronged by these people. It wants revenge. It wants to put a curse on them, and so it needs somebody to lift the lid on the well. And so we have another random bum again. It just it's, I guess has got to always pop in there. It's the first kill. He comes over. I guess he wants a drink. And there's like all these uh hanging. Yes, sharp objects. It's almost like they put a magic spell on it. It was like to ward people away. Don't you go near that well. We got all these sharp objects that could just drop on your head at any time. This guy's too drunk to notice or too thirsty. And he does it anyway. Yeah. That was the stupidest thing in the world. I don't care how bad I want that liquor. I could drop my wallet with $10,000 in it. I'm not crawling in the tube of spikes to get it back, <laughs> let alone this almost empty bottle of Jim Beam. You, but, I mean, you know what's coming. It, you know what this was taking me back to, Jacob? Final Destination. What will kill him? He's in this room of possible deaths. He's crawling through the thing of spikes. It's going to close on him like a trap, right? No, he's going to get an axe in the balls. Hatchet, scythe, pitchfork, knife. I mean, he keeps going. I'll give him props for stamina. He's too drunk to know he's dead. (laughs) I did like that we get out of crotch shot here. I, I was hoping for that fun from the last film. It, it's not here, but I did get, you know, we, this body sticks around for a while in this bar, and he's, Josiah is what, like burning it? I did get the sense that it's this these ashes, this smoke coming off this body, that that's what's going to poison the kids. And that was kind of, kind of going on in that third movie. They kept that bum's head around and planted it, or it was a severed head just laying there biting people that came through the rows. I don't know, but I did get a sense that the bum's body did feed the fields. I think that's a similar thing here, that yes, Josiah is going to use this corpse not only to say, hey, I'm back and reanimate himself, but yeah, to use it as a force to poison all of the children. It's got a lot of anger. We're going to find out it has a history with this town and it wants to punish everyone not going to use it to really grow evil corn though there is a cornfield in this film but it there is a distinct lack of corn i feel in this children of the corn for yeah there is also a lack of he who walks behind the rose right there is no he who walks behind the rose well according to my research There is a cut scene, and I kind of described in the plot summary the big dialogue scene where the old people describe the backstory of Josiah here. They cut a bit from that scene where the old people say that the preacher was called He Who Walks Behind the Rose. So Josiah is Hubie in the original manifestation. So whatever he was, the reason Gatlin was... So demonic, the thing in the cornfield was supposedly this boy under the ground. Now, never mind, this isn't even Gatlin. This is Grand Island. Yeah. I think that's why this can be different. That's why we don't need Hubie in this one, is that it is not connected to Gatlin. It's a real place. Grand Island, Nebraska is about 90 miles outside Lincoln, Nebraska. It really is the corn capital of Nebraska. So we're not connected to that fictional small town that the children had a coup and took over and killed everyone. That's not the history of this place. This is the history of a place that killed a small child because he wouldn't grow up and he was 
giving them scary sermons. Yeah, what I feel kind of muddles whatever's supposed to be going on in here, whether Josiah is Hubie, if it's the smoke that's poisoning the kids, whatever. I mean, there's this radio. There's always preachers on the radios in these films, and there's this whole dialogue about the age of Norman, Rockwell is dead, the decline of rural America. I I thought maybe they'd be getting into something like that. I I felt like the original corn was playing into that fear of rural neighborhoods and thought maybe, you know, now we're in the 90s. It's 96 now when this film's coming out. I thought maybe we get into the economy shifting to urban areas and these small towns going unnoticed. Nope. It's some nice, spooky, ominous words to play, but doesn't ever actually come into play into the film. It's the backstory between mother and daughter. It's the only thing that really makes it relevant is that Grace has chosen to go away to college. Presumably, it's medical school. Presumably, she's never going to come back here again once she's done. But she's been forced to come back because her mom's having these crazy dreams and she can't be trusted to raise the two younger children, her siblings, Margaret and James. Now, in that... Margaret, I revealed in the plot summary, is actually Grace's daughter. James is not that much older than Margaret. Yeah, is he really June's son? The mom? Yeah, I don't know who the husband was, but all three are Karen Black's kids. Yes, this June woman keeps knocking out kids and then going crazy. And that's pretty impressive considering she's agoraphobic without an internet connection. (laughs) I don't know how you do that. Craigslist. (laughs) <laughs> no, but she, how is she going online? And this is 96. Oh, that's true. <laughs> there were those newspapers with the ads. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She does make it out to pick up the newspaper. She can go as far as the cobblestone. So, yeah, that's her connection to the world, the classifieds. But, all right, so James is Grace's brother, but Margaret is Grace's daughter. That was not clear because Margaret and... Wait, what? Grace? Grace's daughter? Yes. Oh, I didn't get that at all. That's the big plot twist. That's the big reveal. What big reveal? You have to reveal it to me. That's why Josiah picks Margaret to possess because she's an abandoned child. Grace abandoned her, left oh, her with the mom. They were talking about a lie, and I didn't under I didn't understand what they were talking about. It it all comes out in dialogue, right? Yes. Later in, in the movie, well, you don't get to see Grace having sex and giving birth. So yes, <laughs> right? Okay, but yeah, I did. Okay, well, all right. That was something I didn't get, and that was a question I had. So okay, so now you understand why Jacob and I are like, so whose mama is James? Okay, yeah, I'm like, I don't get it. I just thought these were three children of Karen Black, but no, they're all being passed off as that, maybe for, you know, posterity's sake, but the truth is, Grace had an affair with someone, it doesn't matter who, and left the child for Mama to raise. Yes. Okay, well, that does make her lie more interesting, because I kept trying to figure out, she lied to her about where they were driving, but I'm like, that doesn't seem to be enough to make evil come, but okay. (laughs) All right, that's acceptable. So... James gets kind of a short shrift in this movie. He starts off as the character who I found most interesting because he's collecting serial killer cards, which were a real thing. (laughs) Yes. My wife collected them in the 90s. She had the Charles Manson card and all of those. Was that the rare one? Is that the one that you get the most for on eBay now? I don't know. It's not like (laughs) Batman number three or whatever that was that only seven copies exist of, but... I was really thinking, if you're making a horror movie direct-to-video in 96, that's your audience, is a pubescent boy, so he should be more of the plot. He really disappears. This is a movie about Grace and Margaret, and James is just 
kind of gone. I think it was a mistake to even have a brother. Yeah, agreed. He's not one of the kids at the end, is he? Like, I was wondering, where is James? I guess he got on his dirt bike and rode off. He is at the very end of the movie. Yes, the very end. And he is responsible for killing Karen Black. But otherwise, no. I think that this series is plagued by too many boys with J names. I didn't need to learn who James was. I got really mad when I realized he wasn't the main evil kid. And there's just no need to pay attention to James. For God forbid, let's ignore a a J kid for this movie and focus on the women. Because I think that's what really matters here. It's, It's Crazy Mama June, her daughter Grace and her daughter Margaret. Now all the other children are going to be affected too, but these are the ones that matter to Josiah. Josiah is going to be reborn or he's going to have a new influence and be a new preaching force. It's difficult to know what Josiah wants, but it's going to involve being in Margaret's body. She's going to call herself Ezekiel and confuse everyone. We don't know what's going on. I basically view Josiah as Freddy Krueger. You guys mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't get it with the dreams, but let's look at this guy's story. He's a preacher who is weirding out the townspeople. Okay, he doesn't actually do anything bad, but he's weirding them out. But the entire town gets together to burn him alive, then hides the body, and that body comes back in spectral form for revenge. That's Freddy, right? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I mean, it's so obviously, Freddy, they could sue and win. I mean, that really, New Line could take this property right away from Dimension here because they have just plagiarized this just flagrantly. But I at least get that motivation. He was burned to death. He wants to kill everyone. It's not necessarily a pro-child thing so much as he was a child and so he's using children as his tool. I think it would have been a little bit better if they'd staged a period piece flashback preaching scene and we could have seen maybe he preached best to children or something like that. He really enraptured the minds of children, a child preacher for a child audience. We get none of that. Everything we're told about his backstory is just a talky scene that I had to play twice to write down all the details of, but it's children of the corn, so we just have to go with the kids are evil. I actually thought that his preaching did come on in the radio, that there is all of this dialogue, it's sometimes in June's dream, and then when her dream becomes reality, or when kids are watching the TV and hearing the messages about King Herod, I thought that was Josiah talking about King Herod. There's a whole King Herod kill the firstborn children, crickets, plague, kind of biblical imagery going on here. I thought that that was their way of telling us what Josiah was preaching back in the day. Yeah, I really feel like maybe this wasn't a corn film, and they just decided to put that title. Maybe they thought, because three is the best one thus far, in my opinion, they're like, we'll go off the goodwill of that one and and throw some crazy kids in this, and we could kind of make it a corn film. You know, there's a history of taking those spec scripts and doing that. Nothing in the book I read or Wiki or IMDb states this was a spec script that was sitting around and adapted to include corn, but... I wouldn't put it past the last movie or this one, really. But what's interesting is that his revenge doesn't come as killing the children, like King Herod. It is kind of children of the corn-like. He recruits them by getting them sick. 
and that they emerged from a fever with a new identity and missing teeth and a, a desire to kill their parents. Yeah, Arnie, you called out in the plot it was just the teeth that had fillings in it. I missed that. I thought I thought it was just creepy that their teeth were coming out. Oh, but I yeah. Guess... I have nightmares about that. You want to know about my dreams? Oh, everyone has nightmares about oh. falling out teeth. That's that's a common dream, yes. Yeah, it's an awful one, too. Yes. And yeah, that's <laughs> just throwing that detail. I don't know what it meant, but it was effective. Yeah, I thought it was just any teeth. There's the one scene where the nurse hands Nomi Watts a handful yeah, of teeth. Yeah, envelope of teeth. <laughs> She's got a pocket full of teeth walking around. Yeah, she, she moonlights as the tooth fairy. <laughs> you can make a killing in this town, let me tell you. But I thought it was just all teeth because, hey, it's creepy if you rip out your own teeth. But it's called out metal fillings have mercury. So they're pulling ah. out the teeth with the mercury because this kid was poisoned with mercury in life. And so now he's allergic to it when he inhabits other bodies or something. I always thought mercury was super dangerous and, like, bad for you. Do fillings really have it? And, like, no. can you pour liquid mercury all over yourself like Grace does at the end here? I have a story to tell. The last time I ever owned a glass thermometer in my life, <laughs> I decided I was sick. I would sterilize it. So to clean it, I put it in boiling water. <laughs> I returned to find it has exploded... And in the bottom of the water is what looks like the T-1000. Yes. It's the mercury at the bottom. I realize mercury is very toxic, and I take it out, and I put it in the garbage. Probably not the wisest thing to do for the environment, but it's what I did. I was in college. I had the internet, though, unlike Karen Black. I looked this up. It turns out inhalation of mercury or even getting a drop of it on your skin could cause hair loss, schizophrenia, and madness where you descend into insanity. A scientist who was testing the stuff got a single droplet on her skin, went insane, was put in an asylum, and died like two years later. I went through like six months of wondering if I had mercury poisoning. <laughs> I couldn't believe that for 99 cents you can buy this toxic liquid and then put it in your mouth in a glass vial. I have been electric thermometer ever since. I'm happy to say i didn't get mercury poisoning but i have feared mercury ever since that day sir i would not want it in a sprinkler system bathed over me and my daughter well no wonder margaret freaks out when a nurse grace puts lotion on her with mercury it's driving her crazy it's not because she's possessed it's because it's super dangerous yeah i agree it's not good although i do think there are ways of distilling it <laughs> yeah there's ways of tempering it where it's not so deadly i mean it isn't like instant death arnie i think maybe in its most pure form it could be that but i don't think that your thermometer would have killed you if you had touched <laughs> that water let me just say though per the fda there has been cases of mercury poisoning linked to skin creams and other herbal beauty products that do contain mercury and their skin lighteners anti-aging things and they can cause madness and death okay Wasn't and that the joker's I plot in tim burton's batman <laughs> i think so and it is weird i agree that there's like this should make you feel good i'm like i would not feel good about slathering mercury on my body no matter how much you you write the the health label on the on the lid i'm just no that doesn't i'm turning 40 soon you say that gets rid of wrinkles poor <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, what we establish here early in the first act of the movie is that the kids are getting sick and yet they're rejecting taking their thermometers. They're losing their teeth. They are falling under the influence of Josiah. 
And we do have our first parental kill when we meet Marcus, a hemophiliac who is actually leaving town. The, the family's moving to Denver the next day, but he can't wait. He's got to let his friends in and chop up Sandra, his mom. The hemophiliac subplot. I don't think about hemophilia. Was it a subplot? <laughs> I thought it was a mention and it never went anywhere. Well, it comes back at the end and there I had the big oh yeah they dropped that he was a hemophiliac in the opening because I thought it was very strange that they bring it up I mean I remember being a kid and hearing about hemophiliacs and finding it to be very scary and you don't really come across it that much in everyday life so when they brought it up I thought it was an interesting thing but yeah they bring it up once he's literally at a doctor's office for a hemophiliac checkup no, you're fa- You're doing well. Your father has the special medicine, but let's stop getting those cuts. I think that's good whether you're a hemophiliac or not. Good advice. Don't cut. But at the end, he passes out when no one else does, and I completely forgot that was because he was a hemophiliac. I just thought it was because he lost more blood. I don't think it's conveyed the right way. No, a lot of this isn't conveyed the right way in this story. I don't even think it's necessary to understand. I mean, it's incidental. He acts weird not because he's a hemophiliac. He acts weird because, like every other kid, he's becoming a different person and plotting to kill his parents. Yeah, and these you, you say, here's our first parental death. You know, at least that bum, it was somewhat creative. We saw him all dismembered and being burnt and got a crotch shot, an axe to the crotch. Here, it's just a scythe over and over chopping up this mom. And we're a half an hour into this 80-minute movie. I just want to point out, it may not seem like it's that long to wait for our second kill, but it feels, it feels long. really long as we're watching all of these scenes of grace integrating a society and getting her old job back and taking care of her father and dream sequences oh lots of visions of melting faces and things coming at her and waking up and thinking she's home and then waking up and not being home and that never ends there's a dream within a dream with grace yeah i got more and more pissed off because nothing's happening in the real world and we just keep these fooled you dream sequences i love the nightmare on elm street movies but this movie has made me as sensitive to dream sequences after watching this movie as these kids are to mercury i don't like these early dream sequences either they really piss me off but i do think there's a payoff for june you know we start with her dream and it has this very methodical walking to the medicine cabinet breaking the glass hearing the radio come on coming down the stairs finding it's the boy i think that that one is actually effective i think that is creepy but a lot of this is wasting time this movie could easily be one hour long but they have to stretch it to 80 minutes what pissed me off about that when june's dream comes true is i'm sitting there and i put in my notes fuck another dream sequence it's not a dream it really happens i'm like wait wait there's a (laughs) there's a rule of three she dreams it once and it happens once no you're supposed to dream it twice and then the third time it fools me Yeah, no, I thought it was real when it was really happening. That's what makes it kind of creepy is that she knows she's been here before, but it's only been in her dream. She started to take pills, so maybe she's not freaking out. But in her mind, she's like, do I believe that that dream was 
real? And should I be scared of this child that's now in my room? Or should I... I don't know. I like this scene. I thought that was the one dream sequence that actually had payoff. And it got her out of the house. It fixed her agoraphobia. The pills weren't working, but having a child with a scythe come at you, then that works. She jumps in the car. She's gone. And I'll agree with you. That's the one dream sequence that does work. And it's because I took her as a psychic, a crazy psychic lady. We get those in King Fiction. I don't understand why everybody's a psychic that has dreams, but I liked it if it was only June. If they'd done it just that once, I'd have considered it artfulness. But, I mean, even the people who make Nightmare on Elm Street dreams are going, fuck, that's a lot of dream sequences. <laughs> no, it, it, yes, up until that point, excruciating amount. And again, it's because they have to commit to a feature length when this there's just not enough plot here to do that. They do give us a lot of kills then in quick succession. I want to point that out. If that was your issue, maybe you didn't like Sandra's death being cut up by the children but right after that the sheriff comes over he's ready to arrest the father he thinks that it was a domestic dispute he gets whacked in the cornfields and then we have the doctor getting carved up with a gurney or something i didn't even know (laughs) that they could do that the doctor's the only good kill again going back to nightmare on elm street yes this is freddy slashing with his fingers over and over and over i want creative kills i want what we saw last week and yeah that gurney kill with the doctor is the best kill in this because i love it yeah he gets chopped in half and the top half is riding around on that gurney but the twins missed opportunity you need to cast creepier twins oh i thought those ginger twins were very creepy but i agree with you jacob I think what they tried to do here is Michael Myers has his knife, Jason has his machete, and the children of the corn have their scythe. But even though Jason has his machete, he crushes faces, breaks necks, beats people to pulps against trees. Here, I agree. I'm bored with stabbing deaths. The doctor death is a lot of fun in a Freddy's Nightmares TV series kind of way. But, I mean, even when June dies, we don't even see a body. We just see her dragged towards a pitchfork i'm the impalings leave me cold after the inventive deaths of the last movie here i don't like grace i'm bored by all this medical mumbo jumbo about the fevers and the kids it takes way too long to reveal this is josiah there's still no reason why it's presenting as a fever it's a plague. They're going back to Herod. They're saying that there's a plague affecting the children, the crickets, all of that. This is biblical imagery. Yeah, it's they're mentioning the children of Israel escaping Egypt and, you know, the plagues of Moses. Yeah, they're saying that. I'm not getting that imagery, though. I, I would love that. Yes, if you're going to replicate the 10 plagues and these kids are bringing them on to kill the parents, great. We could get some creative kills that way with frogs and locusts and a river of blood. They do have the crickets. The lo- that's, as, that's as much as... They don't kill anyone, though. That's the problem. <laughs> I hear what you guys are saying, but I will say this. You guys are complaining, and, and there are reasons to be unhappy with this first hour of this movie. Yes. But I <laughs> (laughs) I think it's actually much more effective as far as a creepy movie than anything we've seen before. I think that this is easily the best directed and made movie of the Children of the Corn series. I disagree completely. I totally disagree. First of all, the writing undermines it. Best writing of the series. (laughs) Completely disagree. All those fucking dream sequences. I've not been angered by any of the previous films the way I am by this one. Second of all, there's way too much told not shown. You didn't even get from this film the huge plot twist that Margaret is Grace's daughter. If the movie fails in having an astute critic gather its most important point, that movie is 
failing in its entire ability to deliver a goddamn message. This movie <laughs> sucks on a totally new level with its tell-don't-show kind of philosophy. And when it does show, it shows me a goddamn dream! <laughs> well, I'm glad that it's the movie's fault and not my own for paying attention or not. But I disagreeing with you. I think this this is the best children of the corn of the four movies that we have, largely because it's atmospheric, it's well directed. We got an actress that's hell a lot better than Heather Miss Langenkamp. You know, Just because I, Nomi Watts went on to do shit. She sucks in this. She sucks. Yeah, in no, this. come on. You might like her in something else. She doesn't do anything here. Atmospheric. June's dream at the beginning is atmospheric that's it the rest is all this stuff at the, in the doctor's office at night it's dark i can't even tell what's happening most of the time this is the this is the worst of the corn films thus far it's- no my favorite kill the best one is the blood the pool of blood and the scythe coming out and it gets the friends come on that's good if there was some lighting going on maybe i could have seen it better it's too dark for me no, that's a good kill. That is pure good Freddy. You know what it is? Is that they're remaking the original Nightmare on Elm Street. They're not doing Freddy 3 where he had all the inventive dream kills. They picked their weapon. It is going to be cutlery. It's usually the scythe. And they're sticking with that. And you guys are bored with it. But- well, no, look. I'm good with uh, if you want to just use one weapon to kill everyone, make it gory. I don't feel this is gory. I don't feel it's unsettling. It's just the same knife over and over slashing someone in an uncreative way. And the worst part of this movie is Naomi Watts. She is fucking terrible in this. She just cannot present any emotion. This is early in her career. Maybe she took a fucking class. But after Tank Girl and this, (laughs) she is so horrible. I don't care about her concern about these children. Every time she's on the screen, I'm looking at my watch. She is completely leaving me cold in this movie and all of this stuff about the children the children the children have a fever put the children in the bath oh where's the doctor i don't know but my kid has a fever show my fucking god i'm wondering if there's a problem here something that i noticed that maybe part of your disinterest in this is the fact that they don't have sex in this movie this is the first children of the corn movie in which nobody has a girlfriend or a boyfriend or that doesn't really seem to play in to anything and come on a low budget slasher that doesn't have a titty shot that doesn't have a little sexual chemistry with other people the fact that it is about a girl coming back home and dealing with her mom and children and that they don't present anything else i think it makes this feel unique and dangerous for not being formula if they want to go with the drama, fine, but there's no dramatic tension here. I, I don't care about any of these characters. So, yeah, I, I would prefer more of the camp, more of the humor that we've seen in some of the other corn films. This isn't working as a drama slasher for me at all. I, I don't care about the story. I don't get that there's some big misconnection between Grace and her mother that's supposed to be going on, that there's some reconciliation going on here. It's I don't feel that there's any of those character moments if you're going for a, a more serious take and this movie is all about sex because the whole point is sex out of wedlock creates bad children the problem is it's all tell don't show because we never find out who any of the men are in these relationships these women are having mysterious sex and spontaneously asexually birthing children yeah but there's no fathers in this movie it's not that there's not a love interest that's bothering me i didn't even notice it until you said it and none of the corn films thus far have had titty shots but 
what is bothering me is that we're getting poor relationships. I don't care who the relationships are. I'm not getting them at all. Yeah, but and I think the fix is, like you said, they only tell us in dialogue that I didn't hear that she had this sex out of wedlock. Let's bring that character in. Let's make him a dangerous sexual threat. Maybe it's Josiah. Maybe there's something they could work in here. But yes, this is a small town filled with women that had children out of wedlock, but there's no sex. There is no sex in this movie and there's no sexual tension, which makes... It feel very, very weird as a slasher film. I can't recall really any other one that spent so much time on maternity without, yeah, fear of men. But there is fear of men. I mean, it's all about the fear of men and the fact that it's a boy, though. But Josiah is not a man. It's a little child. But the reason that they gave up the boy to begin with was fear of men. Yeah, that's really not the fear of this movie, though. The fear is of a small child that climbs out of a well and poisons other children and a curse that makes every parent look at their child sideways because they might come at them. There's really not that many parent deaths. I thought we might be building to a really bloody climax like we got at the beginning of the first movie, but really the climax is pretty much between Grace and Donald, the wronged husband of Marcus, they're them teaming up to get some mercury to basically go get the kids in a barn. i kind of mortified. I got to say, the idea that Donald, I, I recognize he loves his son and all of that, but that he's willing to use a shotgun on small children seems a bit <laughs> excessive here in the climax. Hey, I get Donald's pain, you know. Uh, okay, sure, you're a suspect when your wife shows up dead in your home. But the fact that the cops, like, are murdered later and he's still a suspect, obviously you got the wrong guy. I, I get your pain, Donald. I want to get out of that town, too. I agree. I do think, though, I never really believed, speaking of relationships, that Donald loved his wife. I mean, his wife is butchered, and he's standing there all pissed off. You mean you think I did it? He's not grieving his wife. He's like just bummed. It doesn't come across well. I mean, Brent Jennings, you're no Naomi Watts, and she sucks in this movie too. There is absolutely no time dedicated. Once you're dead, there will be no grieving. Yeah, not only does a man lose his wife, watch her be hacked up by his child, but Naomi Watts, when she gets to the barn, finds the body of her mother, the reason why she gave up college to come home. I think she shrugs, and she's like, all right, where's the, where's Josiah? Let me blow him away. I, I do got to say, though, here here's the best shot, I think, of the film, maybe besides that opening dream sequence, is Margaret, you know, laying there horizontally and Josiah reaching up from that pool of blood and pulling her in. I, th I thought that was an effective shot, so I will yeah. give the film credit for that. I did like this end. I liked all the kids reciting and cutting themselves. I at first thought that entire pool was their blood, but then I realized there was some water there that they were just adding blood to. But I like the ritual. I was hoping Jiffy was going to come back. You know, I really <laughs> wanted another monster. You wanted some tentacles coming out of that. Tub. I did. I was a little disappointed when it's just Josiah in his hat. I'm like, that's it. We've already seen Josiah since the first frames of this film. And now he's super Josiah who can take a mercury bullet and just keep coming at you. But he can't take a splash of mercury from the pressurized water tank. I, I think he goes down too easily is the problem. That he's the Wicked Witch of the West and you can splash water in his face and he melts and that's the end of it. The whole child army just disappears. They don't just become normal. They literally vanish. They're banging on Donald's truck while he's trying to drive away and they're, suddenly they're just gone. And he's yes, like, they, okay. It's, the trance is over. They ran out 
out of money. Child <laughs> labor laws. That's what I'm telling you. You only get four hours with a kid and they're just, they try to spend their time with adult characters because it's really hard to get what you need if you make it all about small children, particularly on small budgets. I'm just waiting for the sequel where Margaret and Grace lose their hair and go insane from bathing in mercury. <laughs> Perhaps in five or six, six, six or seven or eight or nine. We still have a few more to go. Well, if you want to see more watery dead child imagery, Naomi Watts would essentially do this again about a decade later in Ring 2. I don't know if you saw that one, but it's surprising how much imagery actually got culled from this movie to be in that movie. I wasn't expecting that, but if uh, you're a fan of those Ring movies, yeah, it kind of starts here. And then James comes back. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. I, I do love this, like, man, my mom's dead. I'm going to put a pack of serial killer cards on her tombstone. Like, <laughs> she hated me having them, so I'm going to leave them as an offering at her grave. Yeah, I'm not going to throw them away and rest in peace forever with these. You're manipulating this to make it look the worst. It, it looks the worst. I don't have to manipulate this. It looks pretty bad. <laughs> no, he's giving up something she didn't like. He's breaking a bad habit. Uh, he's maturing. You would think it'd show him, like, burning them or something, not setting it on her grave. Like, you, do that, you, do, you put flowers on a tombstone. Yes, yes. <laughs> she, it is all wrong. Yeah, he probably shouldn't put them there, but, uh, yeah, I don't know that it's the cardinal sin you guys are making it. You take serial killer cards and put it on the grave of your murdered mother that's bad taste <laughs> i i do like that they kill any idea of like the teaser here like last week we saw the germans they got the corn is hubie gonna live on in what das maze but here the locust shows up and james because he's had no character arc i don't even know where he's been the whole film it totally makes sense that he would just smash it what the fuck is with that where like it's supposed to be all tension that this locust is on the car it's broad daylight i know credits are about to roll i don't think james is about to turn into josiah i don't know what they're trying to tell me with this scene and then he smacks the bug i again rewound it did i miss something scary no it's a bug there was no bugs ever killing people in this film. No, it was kids with sides. No, it was a sound effect. There was a lot of cricket chirping. It was usually at dramatic moments. They, they couldn't afford them, guys. You have to pay money for animal <laughs> wranglers, and they could only do it a, a couple times here. They come out of the well with the bum, and they're here at, on the car at the end. And yeah, this is a punchline to let you know we're not going to do the traditional jump out and scare you ending. Josiah, I don't think, is ever coming back. Sure as fuck hope not. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Children of the Corn for The Gathering? Jacob? Low point in the retrospective so far. Low point in the franchise, which is saying a lot. None of these have got recommends. Don't expect them to. But this one is just really a chore to get through. And again, I don't know if it breaks the 90-minute mark. If it does, it just barely creeps up on it. No, no. Very long credits. It's barely over 80 minutes. And here's the thing. I don't think any of these films have warranted the almost 90 minutes they've reached in any of them. This is a short story. It has shown they're all thin. This is the thinnest to me, though. This is the one where they really, well, that first one had a boring middle, but this one here, it just seemed to struggle. These are short stories, and they have not yet figured out how to tell this in long form, in a featured length, to be 100% entertaining. They've come close when they've gone with camp for me, but here they take a turn for the serious, they drop Hubie, and it doesn't work. Low point for the franchise, strong not recommend. Stuart. A colonel. I think you guys are being entirely too hard on this. Entirely too uh, hard. Cur a, a colonel of awfulness. 
Everything is red. This is a bad series. There is not a good movie in the bunch here. I'm trying to find variants. You guys want to castigate this for being boring, and it is, and elongated with unnecessary dream sequences, which it is, and Josiah may not do anything for you on a Freddy Krueger level, but I'm going to say this is about as good as Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. It's It's got... Which sucked! It did suck, but that's a success for this series. That's a kernel that has a couple oh. creepy imagery. It has better than average acting, and it has a moment or two that I thought kind of worked, just like the first one. So that's why it's not a pat of butter. You're not going to laugh. It's it's actually a, a lot more serious in tone than the last movie. But, I mean, if you're starving for this kind of Freddy entertainment, keep in mind in 96... This was what was available. I'd say you're a lot better off eating this than, you know, sometimes they come back to or some of these other silly slasher movies of the era. I mean, I'd rather watch this than a leprechaun, I think. We'll know for sure in a couple weeks, but I'd say that if you just had to get your jollies in a slasher movie, there's enough here that will remind you of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, although it comes closer ultimately to Nightmare 5. In 1996... We got The Frighteners, Hellraiser Bloodline, From Dusk Till Dawn, Scream, Thinner, Bordello of Blood, Hell. I'll even take Job's War, Lawnmower Man 2. Oh, All as movies I would rather watch than this. You've discredited yourself with Job's War. If that is better than this movie, you're the one that looks foolish. No way. No way. Jacob. I agree. Thank you, sir. This movie is the low point of the series. It is truthfully irredeemable. It is only 80 minutes, but 40 minutes in, I felt like I watched Gandhi. The way time elongates in this nothing happening film is just astounding. And Stuart, all you're doing is showing how much you don't like Wes Craven when you equate this quote-unquote favorably with Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Go back and listen to that review, listeners. He's not really all that fond of that movie either. I will say, I know a Nightmare on Elm Street 1. You, sir, are no Nightmare on Elm Street 1. But it is Nightmare on Elm Street 5. You gotta admit that. A lot of dead babies and trippy dream imagery. It's about as good as that one. Oh, no, because Nightmare on Elm Street 5 at least has better trippy dream imagery. There's creativity in Super Freddy that's not found in this movie. There's budget found in Super Freddy that's not found in this movie. Super Freddy. There's nothing as bad as Super Freddy in this movie. Nothing. I completely disagree. There's nothing as good as Super Freddy in this movie. (laughs) Nothing. Okay. Nothing at all. I don't know if just because, again, you like Nomi Watts and other stuff, you're trying to find nice things to say about this movie, but it's not here. Her performance is not here. I like her in other stuff. I really do. It's not Naomi Watts. This is not based on... I actually think it's Greg Spence. Greg Spence would go on to produce Game of Thrones. He's worked in Hollywood a lot. I think he's got some talent. I think they came up with a B-movie that's kind of fun to watch in parts. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not a Naomi Watts lover by any means. But she's done worse. Let me put it this way. Yeah, Tank Girl. But there's nothing in here that's fun to watch. There is nothing in here. There's not a kernel of goodness in this movie. Truthfully, stay the fuck away from this one. Not recommend. The strongest of not recommends. And a contender for worst king film ever. 
Oh, you have really over-dramatized this. I get that you were bored. I think that there's nothing worse somebody could do to you than bore you. You can accept a lot of worse elements, but if they bore you, it's unforgivable. This one's boring. That's its worst sin here. But there, there's no way this compares to Lawnmower Man 2. There's no way this compares to Trucks, Graveyard Shift. Lawnmower Man 2 is a, almost a brown arrow. Yeah, and it was for me... Boring is a huge sin, Stuart. To me, I, I, I agree. That is a huge sin. Do not bore me. You could have incompetent acting. If it's entertaining, I'm willing to watch it over being bored. When I have to watch my watch more than the film, that, that's a bad sign. I don't care how incompetent the acting might be in another film or how bad the effects might be in another film. Yeah, I agree with you, Jacob. I used to have this barometer when I was a teenager where somebody would ask how a movie was, and my response would be answering how many times I checked my watch. You know, and if I never checked my watch the entire movie, that would be like the equivalent of a strong recommend. I haven't paid that much attention to it anymore because sometimes I'm just checking times on movies because of pacing and act structure and things now. But yeah, this one was one where I was constantly wishing it would just end faster and I kept hitting that timer to see how much more I had to endure. This is a boring movie. The first one was a very boring movie. They both got kernels from me. They both had elements I liked. That's all I'm saying. I hate that these series sometimes make you the defenders of crap. It's a bad movie. I mean, I, we're all in agreement, but the level <laughs> by which you're throwing hate at this, I just can't it's abide. It's deserved. No, it's not nearly as bad as these guys are making it. It really is. It truthfully is. However, I'm happy to say... I'm not bored by four hours of The Two Towers. We are reviewing that this Friday and far, far more entertaining and four hour length than this 80 minutes. Is that an endorsement? Better than Corn 4? Really? <laughs> it's a starting point. If you want to hear all our thoughts, you're going to have to donate. That's true. Yeah, Silver Level this time, we're doing the Jackson series. People told us they really wanted it. We couldn't fit it into our normal schedule with all the King and Interstellar and all the things we have planned. It became Silver Level Donation, and I think it's going to be a great one. I mean, we read the books, Jacob. We've covered those in Books and Nachos. Now we're getting to the Jackson universe. Plus, for Platinum Level, we're going to cover it as it was done in animated series. There was an animated Hobbit, an animated Lord of the Rings, and an animated Return of the King. We're covering those, too. It's a lot of Jackson. It's a lot of Tolkien. It's a lot of fun. And yes, Part 2 begins this Friday. And... In between silver and platinum is me gold. And <laughs> with Warwick Davis, I am going to go out on a limb and say there will be no Leprechaun movie as boring as this. No matter what, we will have Warwick Davis mugging in makeup for a camera and giving bad puns that will be more enjoyable than Nomi Watts mourning the daughter she disavowed. So no question there. I'm going to put that out there. That's my prediction. Much better film. Only available through December 31st, 2014. All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, Jacob Stewart, all I can say is we've been talking about the other Night Shift movies and comparing this to it. I don't know anything about next week's Children of the Corn, but looking at Wiki, I see Alexis Arquette is in it. And after sometimes they come back for more... I'm really, really hopeful that Alexis Arquette can do better than Nomi Watts and make this series come back. 
That that is the litmus test for Arnie. Yeah, isn't it weird how we we root ourselves in these strange pirate battles that no one can win? There's no winning in this. That Alexis Arquette is going to deliver a better corn film than Naomi Watts. I mean, I know what I'm in for, but it's been an interesting, varied series so far. I haven't hated it. That's the biggest compliment I can give it. I thought I was in for nine mangler agonies, and I've liked them all better than any mangler. So let's hope they continue that trend. We'll find out next week when we enter the fields of terror. I'm shaking already. So we'll be back next week, Malachi. We'll be back next week. I'm leaving now. I'm gonna go find some people and tell them about what's happening here in Gatlin. I don't think they'll believe me at first. I don't think I believe in myself. But they will. Eventually. You guys all belong in an asylum somewhere. Looney Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Congratulations, Tiger. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty much all you need now that the Sopranos is dead and buried. <laughs> Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based on Stephen King's books and short stories. This is the word of he who walks by in the rose. We do this word for Shining Shadow. At our sister podcast, booksandnachos.com, you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original Stephen King books and short stories on which these films are based. You should look it up. You still remember how to read, don't you? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Maximum Overdrive, The Mangler, Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and more. Find dozens of Stephen King movie reviews at NowPlayingPodcast.com. These kids watch too many horror flicks. Also at our website, you can find reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Scream, Transformers, Robocop, and hundreds more. Movies are filled with violence, blood, bodies, naked bodies, flying together, glorifying Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. Can't you for one moment conceive of something in this universe that's larger than you? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. $200. Uh-uh, Joby. How much? Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. I don't want to be the one in charge when the heads start doing 360s in a hurling pea soup. Now playing credit narration by Brock. He filled me with the words. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Now playing podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. That won't matter to Isaac and Malachi. They'll take it as a sign. You speak for the others or only for yourself. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. I am the word and the giver of his laws. Disobedience to me is disobedience to him.
Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. So what do we do about the children? Tell their story. Let the healing begin. It's not too late for that, is it? No. We have your podcast, Children of the Foreign <laughs> Foreign Cord. Were you going back to Germany? <laughs> das Kinder der Maze. <laughs> also, Mark Salling. I don't know if you guys ever watched Glee, but he was the one with the mohawk that was kind of too cool for school, but then would join in to sing the Journey song every now and then. Is it wrong to be proud to say I've never seen that show? Uh, you know, I, I've seen a couple episodes. I think it's one of those things where if you caught the early ones, people will tell you it's a guilty pleasure. The show is nearly unwatchable now. But I think that's because I've been doing the deep dive into Stephen King and reviewing all these stories over at the Venganza Meet over, over at Books and Nachos, because there they actually get done. If I did them for the Gazette, then just being like the Hulk. Just stop. <laughs> free myself um okay so you're saying you thought it was the what's the kid's name in josiah just it's always got an eye yeah. you got that's how you know it's the evil kid it's like josiah. isaac malachi micah eli, eli josiah. Okay. josiah yeah yeah there it is i wasn't expecting that but if uh, you're a fan of those ring movies yeah it's kind of starts here i like the first american one i haven't seen ringu it was terrible oh, oh. Oh, I thought you meant Ring Japanese two. one. No. Yeah, Ring Ring. Okay, never mind. Don't, <laughs> yeah. I thought you said Ring 2, not Ringu.